DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way Nothing, nothing I'm gonna fly higher I'm gonna fly higher Higher Welcome to the Hustle Unlimited Podcast with serial entrepreneur Donald Thompson You are listening to episode 7 of season 2 Last week we had the executive director of Shop Local Rally, Jennifer Martin On to talk about why it's so important to support local businesses And today, we talk about supporting the community in a completely different way, and that's through giving back and supporting the less fortunate. I'm Jason Gillikin, producer of Hustle Unlimited and CEO of the EarFluence Podcast Network. And today, our guest is John Luckett, CEO of the Raleigh Rescue Mission. Raleigh Rescue Mission is a faith-based nonprofit agency providing meals, shelter, warm clothing, and most importantly, the opportunity for a changed life to homeless men, women, and children in Raleigh and the surrounding areas. On the show today, you'll hear about John's background in poverty and then in business success, why he abandoned his corporate career, the challenges that the Raleigh Rescue Mission is facing, and the impact it's having on the community here, and how John hopes to replicate that success to different cities as well. Such an important interview today. But before we get started, if you want these episodes in your feed every Monday so you can be inspired for the week ahead, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Give us a rating and review as well, and share this episode on any social media platform. That helps us find more great inspirational guests. The hustlers, the trailblazers, the movers and shakers, and the people like John Luckett who are making their communities a better place. So let's get started. Here's WalkWest CEO, investor, speaker, mentor, advisor, and all-around hustler himself, host of the Hustle Unlimited podcast, Donald Thompson. Hello, folks. This is Donald Thompson with Hustle Unlimited. I have the opportunity to talk to you and bring to you today John Luckett from the Raleigh Rescue Mission. And one of the things that we're doing here at Hustle Unlimited is we're bringing to you not only folks from the business community, the nonprofit community, but number one, business and nonprofit leaders that are taking things to the next level in their chosen field. In this case with uh, the Raleigh Rescue Mission, it is a very, very powerful story about how to help people become more, become better, so they can be their full self and not let their current circumstance define their future. John, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Pleasure being here. We are super glad to have you. Let's jump in. Uh, tell us a little bit about you as an individual, and then we'll kind of dive into what you do. But tell us background, where you're from, family, all that good stuff, and we'll sure, jump in as friends. Sure. Well, I grew up in Mississippi in nice. the 60s. Okay. So I had the uniqueness of being uh, in a little town called Carthage, which really the only distinction we had that we were 30 miles from Philadelphia, Mississippi. So you probably will remember a story in history where the three Freedom Ride kid, Freedom Rider kids, two white and one black, were killed, and their bodies were hidden and uh, wow. dumped basically for a period of time. And so I grew up 30 miles outside of that city. Wow. Very scary time. So uh, that's kind of the beginnings yep. uh, of growing up in poverty. Uh, my parents were uneducated, and we actually stayed in that particular environment for a couple of reasons. There was a white family that basically gave my dad a job awesome. and protected us during this time period. So we stayed stable, which is sounds like people say, why would you want to be in that situation anyway? Because a lot of my uh, extended family uh, left the state, went north. Uh, we stayed there and I was able to finish high school awesome. through the influence of teachers, which was first segregated and then integrated in 1970. Teachers that took an interest in me and said, hey, you know what? I think you have potential. I think you can go to college. I think you can do other things. So it's a very, very, very different. Uh, I have a different life now than I thought I ever would have. And what do you think? I mean, that's uh, amazing as a backdrop, right? So growing up in the 60s and then growing up in the deep south, Mississippi. Yes. I was born in Bogalusa, Louisiana, okay. which is about three or four hours from Jackson, Mississippi. Yep. But I have relatives that grew up in Mississippi. So that's deep south. Yes. And everything that you can think of from a racial undertone or just the quality of life and education. What gave you the capacity to believe you could do and be more? Well, I tell people looking back, because I didn't really understand all this coming up, because, you know, I grew up angry and frustrated about what was happening around me because there was a lot of negative things going on. But looking back, it was people that believed in me before I believed in myself. Some, Some people intervened in my life. I can tell you right now, Mrs. Gilmore, my first grade teacher, African-American lady, she said, hey, you got potential. You're going to be great. And you need someone outside of your family, unless, of course, your family is very prominent or something, to validate them. And that's what she did. So I can remember most of my elementary teachers and then some of my high school teachers, which, by the way, were were white teachers, too, that uh, spoke you know, positive things into my life. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, everybody has the opportunity to do great things, but we don't all see it within self. Exactly. And so having somebody that believes in you, that cheers for you, but more importantly, equips you. Exactly. Right? So that you can be really, really successful. And it seems that you had that. When you think about growing up in Mississippi and now transitioning, when did you move up north or when did you move to North Carolina? Give me a little bit more of the story from Mississippi now forward. So I went to college, which was a pretty big achievement. First generation going to college. So that was a big deal. Uh, After college, I went to Atlanta. And that time, that was Mecca. Yeah, that's big city. Atlanta opportunity, man. So I went there, started in uh, the banking industry, and, and nice. got my first break and started with uh, a company called Chick-fil-A as an owner-operator. And that was through a connection through a business person that, uh, once again, saw potential in me as a banker and said, hey, what do you, what do you want to do long-term? And I had a desire put in me by my dad that I wanted to own my own business because my dad had already said, you know, one of his dreams in his life, which he never achieved, was to own his own business. And, and that way, he wouldn't have to have someone else have control 
of what he could produce and how much he could make. And so that was one of his dreams he passed on to me. Oh, that's phenomenal. I mean, one of the things that people think about entrepreneurship is, number one, the road's not easy. So I want to give some some feedback and lessons learned as a business owner that you can share. Yeah. But but more important is that opportunity to really build something for yourself and for your family. And everybody, a lot of people, I don't want to say everybody, dreams of it. Very few people actually take the leap to do it. What gave you that confidence, that drive to actually move from that stable career now in banking, things are looking up in that arena, to now go into that entrepreneurship route? Once again, uh, this gentleman, a successful businessman in Atlanta, he said, I think you have the ability and intellect to, to really do this. And at that time, Chick-fil-A was moving out of the malls into the freestanding environment. Yep. So I started with them and they believed in me, obviously. Because there was a partnership there that, if you know how Chick-fil-A works, is a close partnership. And so that was one of the things that launched me into that uh, franchise. And it was a great experience I had. I learned a lot of things about business that I would have never been exposed to if I hadn't been in that environment. As you know, your environment really determines a lot of your, your success, who you're around, who you relate to what type of business people you're around. So this was a very progressive company. And the and the power and the level of your dreams. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, if you're around people and business people that have a big vision, then it is deemed okay for you to have a big vision along with them. Exactly. Most successful people are supportive of other people's dreams. Exactly. And unfortunately, most people that aren't successful are always kind of trying to pull each other back a little bit. One of the things that, that I'd like to know, and I know our, our uh, listeners would as well, how did that transition now occur? And like Chick-fil-A, this is a very successful franchise, doing well, moving in those directions. Now, how did you transition to the Raleigh Rescue Mission and that cause that you've now taken up, that mantle and responsibility you have now? So Chick-fil-A was the first big break, but it wasn't the only one. After Chick-fil-A, I became a Wendy's franchisee. So there's a partnership with another uh, financial partner, and we moved to Texas to do that. I sold that business. And then I got into what I call the wave of the senior living industry Okay, back in early 2000 with uh, Sunrise Senior Living. So while there, uh, at that point, we, I was very successful. It was a public company. Nice. Uh, we were serving the top 1% of people across the U.S. Okay. Because it was very expensive to move into properties that I managed and oversaw. So all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, out of the blue, I felt like God was tapping me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know what? You're very successful. Your kids are set. I want you to go back and help people the way I help you. All right, put people in your life. That's powerful. So my wife really thought about it for a long time because as you know how it works in uh, corporate America. Once you get to a certain level, you know, there's a lot of money and things coming in. That's right. And so we really believe we wanted to leave a legacy, not only for our kids, but for other people, because I wouldn't be in the position I was in if people hadn't taken the time to invest in me. So we quit the corporate job, started with a nonprofit in Atlanta, the Good Samaritan Health Center, which was a great experience. My first time being in the nonprofit world. And while working there, I was exposed to homeless individuals as well as the working poor. And uh, my heart was just drawn to the homeless individuals. I'll tell you, up until this point in my career, I would write a check. But I was—I didn't really understand their plight or understand what was going on. Gotcha. And really, what I call people, 1960s poverty is totally different than 2019 poverty. Okay, expand on that. So back in the 1960s, my dad could find work, even though he couldn't read and write. Today, 
If you don't have the education, you can't find work. McDonald's don't hire people that can't read and write. So when you talk about the opportunities, manufacturing was available. There was a lot of labor jobs that my dad could do. My mom could do things. So, you know, I was never fearful that we would be kicked out of our home because we couldn't pay something. Now, I was fearful because of other reasons going on in Mississippi. Yeah, that we would be burned out or something yeah, yeah, like sure. that. But that's a whole different kind of stress level there. When my eyes were open to this, I said, me and my wife said, we have to do something. And so uh, this is when really we began to talk to many people about what is the key to getting people out of homelessness in twenty in, in 2000s as opposed to what it was like in 1960s or 70s or 80s. And so that's where we stumbled across the Rotter Rescue Mission and their vision and desire. That's really powerful. And so that's a lot to unpack. It's one, yeah, it it's to walk away from a very successful career and maybe not walk away, but transition into something yes. that's very new, very different and not being able to see the impact right in front of you, yes. right? There's not a big monthly paycheck coming that exactly. validates your worth, right? In, in terms exactly. of yeah. corporate America. And so that's one thing. But the second thing that's powerful is thinking in terms of that give back, right? And that responsibility that we all have to be thankful and to move from thankful to action of, of how we can help another generation move forward. Tell us a little bit about the Raleigh Rescue Mission and the broadness of services. Because I'll okay. tell you, when we first met, and I shared this with you before, and I thought, Raleigh Rescue Mission, fine, I'll write a check. And, and they're helping feed people that are homeless and hungry. They've got a soup kitchen going on, and they got a food pantry going on. And it's so much more. Yes. Take a minute to describe really the depth of what you're doing and the vision of bringing people from homelessness to that next level in their life. Exactly. Well, it starts out with, a, with something that sounds simple. We really believe that each person has sacred value. So when you start there, one of the things that when our wife said, well, we wanted to do this and the board was behind us because Rotter Rescue Mission has been around since 1961 and they have been able to evolve and, and address the issues with, with a business person's mindset of outcomes because it was started by business people. Okay, so, uh, so with that in mind, the question is, if these individuals have sacred value, they have the same sacred value as my children or your children? And so would it be okay that if you said, hey, it's okay if my child doesn't have education and they uh, work a low-paying job where they can't make ends meet and they can't live in uh, decent housing? Well, the answer would be no. So we started with that simple concept and came up with a six-phase approach that really mirrors what we did with our children and what many people do with their children. You know, we start out with saying, hey, what are your real needs? Uh, what, what, what do you need? And we look at a total comprehensive educationally, medically, mentally. Uh, what are your real needs? Because one of the things we found out in my research, because I spent some time when I was with the organization in Atlanta, I did a lot of research on what was happening. What were the outcomes? What, what kind of things were happening with people who were addressing these needs? Because you're right, it's a broad spectrum. But a lot of times people think, well, it's okay if I give you a meal and a place to sleep. We wouldn't say that for our children. We wouldn't right. say, hey, it's okay. I don't care what you do between 7 and 3. You know, you're on your own, but you can come back home and you can have a meal and you can sleep here tonight. We That's wouldn't right. say that. We said we want to develop them and help them reach their full potential. So one of the things we found out is, uh, if you can imagine this, Don, that you and I and two of your friends went to the doctor's office and uh, we were sitting in the in the lobby there and they called all of us back, all four of us back. And the doctor was in his office and he saw us coming. He said, have a seat. And he finished up writing a script and he gave out a script to each one of us. And we we're like, what is this? He said, oh, 
This is your script to go get some medication. All you people are alike, so what's the problem? We'd say, wait a minute, you haven't done an exam. I'm not like this other person. That's right. You don't know me. That is almost how we have begin to treat the homeless individuals and people in poverty in the U.S. And that was not the case earlier on. Even under segregated South and racism, people were treated differently based on what their needs were and how they could support individuals. Gotcha. So we said, hey, we've got to start doing that. So phase one is what do you need? We partnered with Sylvan Learning to do an assessment of all the kids, which now is a uh, so we have about as many kids as we do women, and then we also have uh, men. So we do assessment on everyone, especially the kids, because 87% of kids who are homeless are going to drop out of school before high school. And let me just tell you, middle schoolers are not being hired by McDonald's. Mm. That means they're going out what's called a school-to-prison pipeline. And so this is a huge problem that's right in front of us, and we don't see it because it's kind of hidden. So once we finish the assessment, we set them up with the uh, proper counseling, because many of the kids and the parents have went through adverse childhood experiences that didn't, and with the adults that didn't stop at age 18. Domestic violence is leading the number one thing. It's not going away. You remember the Me Too movement? Yeah. That's the top 1% of the women. What do you think happened to the bottom 1% of the women in our country? So they are really being impacted with domestic violence and other things. And there's a lot of other things that's been happening. There's 16 different things in the, in the uh, ACEs. The CDC says that ACEs is our number one issue as a society because one of these items is happening to close to 7% of our population. In our world, 100% of the people who come to us have four or more of these uh, adverse childhood experiences that continue on into adulthood. So you said a lot of things that are powerful and impactful. 87% of the kids that are homeless are going to drop out of school before they finish high school. Yes. Did I hear that? Yes. And then that creates a school to prison pipeline. Yes. Like that is of all the things that we argue about as a society in a macro economic environment. You better believe it. There's so much more that we can do to address that. Super proud of you for what you're doing to address that. But I think sometimes we all need a little bit of shock treatment uh, to realize where some of these problems are that we want to overlook. Tell me a little bit about how you're getting the word out and how people can help and benefit what you're doing. One of the key things that, that we do, we're, we're at the root level. We're dealing with some things that people don't like to deal with. Going in and doing the tutoring and the counseling with kids, it costs money. Uh, it really does. And so the time, so we've beefed up our staff so that we have a full 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. children's services for all of our kids. That's before school, preschool, after school, and then evening enrichment. Because we want to come alongside the parents you know, in today's society, if you have a child that's not acting up, everybody blames the parent. Or if the parent doesn't have the skills or the abilities to really guide the child. Right. So we come alongside the parent, the woman in our situation, and sometimes we have men with children there. And we come alongside both of them and say, hey, we want to help you grow both. And that's a new thing, to be quite honest with you, because a lot of times people focus on the adult. They don't focus on the children. So we're focusing on both. So there's a couple of things. I will tell you right off the bat. Invest in us from a financial standpoint. You can go to RaleighRescue.org and, and look online. So RaleighRescue.org. Yes. And you can donate online. Donate online. Okay. And then we want volunteers, passionate volunteers for the children or if you like the adults, but to come alongside. Because once again, remember somebody outside of my family that spoke truth into my life and spoke hope into my life. Because 
It usually takes someone out of the situation that you're in to say, hey, I think you can overcome this. We need that for our adults, men and women, and we need that for the children. We really believe that we can break the cycle easier with the kids than we can with the parents right now because there's a lot more damage that's been done. To the if parents. you're a 25 or 35-year-old 30, woman that's had all these bad things happen to you, you have a daily fight with depression and hope because you, you, you've been knocked down multiple times. That's right. And and the women, and I'll tell you about the adults come here. This is the misconception. Oh, these people don't want to work. They don't want to do these things. No, they choose to come there. No one's forcing them there. They're not assigned there by any court. They're choosing to come here because they said, I want to be back in mainstream. I want to pay my own way. I don't want to be dependent on other people. Those are the type of individuals we're living with. We just looked at some statistics nationwide. Most of the people that are homeless, 84% of them what's called situational homeless. 16% are called chronic homeless. Guess which one our media focuses on? Chronic homeless, the 16%. Yep. And those are the ones that get the bad name. Hey, doesn't want to work, this situation. The rest of the group is what's called the hidden homeless. Gotcha. They're like you and I. If something, you know, I tell people, if I had a business and it blew up and went bankrupt, you think I'd be on Facebook saying, hey, my business just went bankrupt. Check me out. No. You withdraw. That's what these individuals are. They withdrawing and say, well, somebody help me just relaunch my life. Now, we know what happened in 2006 and 2009. A lot of people lost their jobs. They went back, got themselves together, and got to re- relaunch their lives, right? Now they're back on track. Yep. I knew several friends making great money, doing great things, but they were able to fall. They lost their house, but they were able to go back with their parents, retool, get re skilled, boom, and they're back out there. That is what we're doing for these individuals. No, that's powerful. That 84% of the situational homeless. And I think that's part of why we're so glad that you're here with us and really shining a light and creating that hopeful opportunity for us to engage, right, and make a real difference. And I think that's super powerful. Do this for me in, in our time together. Share with us a couple of success stories. Sure. Put some scenarios together that have gone through your six-step process and how that has worked for for some examples. Yeah. So like you said, we go from homelessness to home ownership, which includes getting a job, which is critical, getting a vehicle and getting a place to live. So I have this one young lady. So she made a decision. She had been living in what we'll call uh, Section 8 housing in another city and, and dealing with domestic violence. She decided one day that she was leaving that situation, came here to Raleigh, found us out, and came on board. And she was very shy young lady at the beginning, but she was determined. She said, I cannot live like this anymore for my kids' sake. Mm-hmm. So she went through the program, you know, went through all the things. She was great trooper, got her a job. She's right working for Kellogg's at her car. She has an apartment. And now we're in the process of getting her a home. And so... She is a person that has a determination and she's not, this is, people say, well, that's an, that's an outlier. No, that's actually the majority of people we're looking at. And her success story is based on the fact that she said, I want to be an example for my kids. I didn't have this example for myself, but I want to have this example for my kids. So that's one young lady that did that. We have another gentleman who went to a severe situation and this is going to be a little heartbreaking. He was actually doing well as an adult. And his wife and kids were killed in a car accident. Mm. He went into a severe depression for like 10 years, substance abuse, all those kind of things. And then he said, you know what? I just can no longer live like this. He came to us. 
Same thing. Went stuck with us, went to the program, got a job now. He's doing well. He works at Carolina Country Club. He's got his car. He's got a place to live. And so he started a new life. So those are the examples that give me hope every day. I tell people I have one of the joys of seeing miracles happen every day in people's lives. And all we're doing is assisting people. I tell people, people say, are you helping people? I says, no, we don't help people. We assist people. They say, why do you say you don't help people? I says, because they're not helpless. We're not dealing with helpless people. We're dealing with people who need some assistance. Every one of us who are in business and been successful had assistance. That's exactly right. Right? So, so this looking down on the individual because they're in a temporary situation, that is not a helpless person. And we should, we do not need to look down on them or treat them in, in some paternalistic way. No, come alongside them with dignity and respect and say, hey, where do you want to go? But let's do this together. Let, let me take my resources, level my resources and my contacts so that I can help you be what you want to be. And that's what we're doing. That is powerful. In the example of the, uh, the young lady and the gentleman that succeeded in your program, what you're also doing is you're changing that pipeline from that pipeline to prison, right, is that pipeline to prosperity. Yeah. And that is super powerful because it's almost like you get the multiplier effect because not only did you help save a family or assist a family, you also created an opportunity for an example and a beacon of light that other people can believe that they can do it too. Exactly. And to your point, which I really resonate with and has been a, a part of my life, any success that I've had personally in business, uh, in life, there've been people that have assisted me. I've worked hard. I've mm-hmm. learned my craft and different mm-hmm. things. But I've had people that have held out a hand and pulled me up or opened up a door that I could go through. And so I'm right there with you that for us to look down on people that need assistance is a little bit arrogant and a little bit forgetful of the majority of our personal situation. And so I appreciate the way that you said that and the eloquence. I got one more. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. So this is a a child that uh, came to us. This is what I call a stereotypical 10-year-old African-American child uh, boy that's in school, that is identified by the teacher is not following the rules, Mm. not doing these all these kind of things. He goes into the Sylvan class, and all of a sudden they do the assessment. They say, like, this kid is really smart. So they begin to start working with him and interacting with him. He was actually bored in the class, and he was acting out because that's the only thing he knew to do. So now he's on the Duke TIP program, which Duke University talent identification program. And so he's been very successful. We have so many kids like that. I want to slow you down. I'm being rude. I'm interrupting you. That's okay. So this was a young man, 10 years old, stereotypical African-American kid acting up in class, but was tested and gifted and talented. Yes. And with assistance is moving in a totally different direction. Exactly. So we, we have so many kids come for us that we know they're diamonds in the rough, but they have not had the time and environment that many people have had. And so I tell people, your environment does matter. If you're if you're in an environment that encourages you to grow and develop and use your God-given talents, it's going to be a totally different situation in your environment that doesn't. And let's be realistic. Everyone needs someone to come alongside and coach and teach and train that's how everybody becomes better. And everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. I mean, it's like uh, the one of the reasons you're inspiring me just in general, but specifically even in this conversation, is because now it starts to flash through your minds or what am I supposed to do to create that inspiration 
right, for the next person. Exactly. And to make sure that next young person, that you guys have the awareness, the funding, the support, right, so that not one, but two, but 10, but 100. There you right, go. Get that testing and, exactly. and growth. So if you had to switch gears a little bit. Okay. But knowing what you know, your background, if you had a magic wand, mm-hmm. what would you change in our society? If you had the magic wand. So I've thought about that. You know, the idea that I'm going to have this massive place and 100 acres and do all this kind of stuff is really not the American model. The American model is franchising, right? You you actually figure out a way to do something and you multiply it and you do it because you use some of that personal contact when you get something so mass and and big, right? It becomes, people become numbers rather than individuals. Right. So our idea is that we want to perfect what we're doing. We only this is the this is we're only one year into this. We took one year to study everything around here in Raleigh because I think things are local. You know what what works here in Raleigh. Yep. Uh, and, and the triangle is unique. You may tweak some things if you're in New York City, Chicago. I think the core is there. But what we're trying to do, we're trying to create a model and be a support system so we can spawn other individuals to do this. So we want it to be scalable. We're saying, hey, if a person comes to me, an individual, and say, hey, what can I do? I just want to impact one person. I'm like, great. That's actually a great situation. We can be your support system. You can talk to someone. You can do this individually. You can, the church can do this. A civic organization can do this. Because there's so many needs. But yep. you know what people respond to? Personal interaction. So one of the things they said about ACES that I didn't tell you before is that what breaks that? What causes a person to be resilient? And it's one loving relationship. If you can have one loving relationship, it's been proven consistently. There's a lot of other things around environment, but that one loving relationship will break the cycle of adverse childhood experiences and will cause a person to become resilient. And I think about that if we could just multiply those relationships, because I'm sure all of us, you and me, can think back through our life and say, hey, this was a relationship that I had with this person that really changed my life. I look back on my life and this person at this moment in time for this season of life made a difference in me. That is the key. So we really want to be an incubator, a, a model that others can duplicate. Because, you know, I'm not a franchising business, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make money, but I am trying to change lives. And and one of the things that I will just extend that and, and just to make sure we're all on the same page. So ACE, Adverse Childhood, childhood Experiences. experiences. And breaking the cycle can be done with one loving relationship Yes, and making that difference. And yes. the goal being of the Raleigh Rescue Mission is to perfect a platform that can be scaled. Yes. Right. So that you can create and keep that localized impact. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can bring it to the masses. Exactly. And that is a powerful testament for what you're trying to do, both in the now, but both creating a framework that can outlive what this team is doing right here in Raleigh. Exactly. And move it around the, the nation. Let me give you some space. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience? Anything that we missed? I've enjoyed talking with you. I want to encourage everybody that I know to go to the RaleighRescueMission.org and be a very good steward uh, of your organization. Anything else you'd like to share as we close things up? Well, I will tell you what. This city is primed. As you, as you probably know, this is the third most uh, family-friendly city in the world. So what we found, what I found here, I moved here from Atlanta, is that there are a lot of people that really want to make a change. And that's why we're so excited by telling them, here's how to do it. Got it. Here's the blueprint. Here's the blueprint. Because a lot of people are very passionate and loving in the triangle. 
but the details and the mechanics is where the challenge come in. So that's really what caused us to create this model so it can be duplicated. That's awesome. So one of the things that I want to make as an offer, and I want to put this on tape and different things, uh, at Walk West, we're, we're going to start doing some live events and live training for marketing material and different things. Okay. Uh, from time to time, I'm going to invite you or someone from your team to have a couple of minutes while we're talking to these business executives just to talk about what you guys are doing at the Rod Rescue Mission. Oh, that would be great. Right? So if we pulled together business leaders that are very successful in different things, and we've already got them there, they want to learn about marketing, they want to learn about taking their company to the next level, I also want to give an opportunity and space for them to learn how they can be an impact in their community. And so I'll reach back out to you over the next coming weeks, and we'll talk about some different ways that we can do that. So that certainly I can personally be benefit, but I can use whatever platform I have to help you guys get out there in the marketplace as well. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for having, uh, taking the time to be with us. Uh, folks on the Hustle Unlimited uh, platform and listen to us today, we're here to make a difference. And hopefully the time that you spent today with John, uh, hearing about the Raleigh Rescue Mission, hearing about the six-step process, and the fact that they're using business outcomes to impact people that are homeless and that we're assisting people. We're not looking down on people. We're not treating people like they're less than, but we're assisting people to their level of greatness. Thank you so much for your vision and spending time with us. Thank you. That was John Luckett from the Raleigh Rescue Mission. To see what you can do to have an impact on the Raleigh community, whether that's through donations, corporate sponsorships, education, or volunteer work, head on over to raleighrescue.org. And with the holidays and cold months up ahead, they could use as much help as they can get. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and thanks to John Luckett for such an inspiring interview, and it's truly amazing how some people in this community are making a difference and touching so many lives. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jason Gillikin, for EarFluence. For more on the EarFluence Podcast Network, visit EarFluence.com or check us out on social media. We're at EarFluence Media. Intro and outro music for this episode is You Can't Stop Me from Jensen Reed. You can find more of his music at jensenreed.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Hustle Unlimited.